With Hashem's assistance, we are learning Baba Metziah Davyud, page 10. We begin 10 lines in, Rav Nachman and Rav Chizah da Amri Tarvayu. Both Rav Nachman and Rav Chizah said the following statement, If you want to pick up an ownerless object, let's say a lost object, and you want to do it on behalf of someone else, so the person that you're doing it on behalf of does not acquire that object. My time, what's the reason? Because it's similar to a different case. And the case is as follows, you have Ruvain. Ruvain owes money to three different people. So now, you want to do a favor to one of those people. Your friend is Shimon. Shimon is owed money by Ruvain. And you see that Ruvain just got his paycheck. And you want to make sure that your friend Shimon gets that money. So what do you do? You go over to Ruvain and say, I'm going to take this money on behalf of Shimon. So now, by taking that money, so Levi and Yehuda, who are also owed money, are going to lose out. Because all the money that he has to pay is this money that you're taking from him. So therefore, when you're taking money on behalf of someone who's owed money, and it's going to take away from others who are also owed money, so that's called a taifis labachayv, grabbing for someone who's owed money, in a place where it's going to take away from someone else. And in such a case where you try to do that, you cannot acquire it on behalf of someone else. So so too in our case of Metzi, in regards so a case where you find some object which is ownerless because it's been lost, there are no signs on it, and you try to pick it up on behalf of someone else, the reason it doesn't work is because it's similar to that case. Because just like in that case, so by taking it for one person, you're taking away the opportunity for other people to be able to get the money back. So in this case, by taking the object on behalf of another person, another party, so you're preventing the parties that are, let's say, in the area from being able to take it as well. So now basically what it comes down to is Rav Nachman holds that we actually see from the Mishnah, and this is something that we saw in the previous daf, that if a person picks it up, an object, let's say, on behalf of someone else, like where the person who's riding along the animal turns to the person who's on the ground and says to him, please give me that thing, so in such a case, he does not have the ability to give it over to the person, he hasn't acquired it for the person who's on the animal. So Rav Nachman understands that to be talking about that he doesn't have the ability as opposed to he just picked it up for himself. No, he learns he tried to pick it up for the person on the animal and it just doesn't work. So now Rav asks a question to Rav Nachman. We find that let's say someone has hired a worker and the worker finds a lost object while he's in the middle of his job. So he's allowed to keep that lost object. When do we say that it's true that he keeps it for himself? Where the person who hired him hired him to do a job. He didn't hire him for the entire day's work and whatever he produces that day it's going to belong to the balabayas, to the homeowner. But rather the homeowner hired him for a certain job to do plowing or whatever it is to garden his, his garden. But if let's say he hired him for his day's work he says, I want you to work for me this entire day. So basically the agreement is that whatever he produces that day is going to go to the homeowner. So therefore when he finds a lost object, it's considered something that he's produced, and it goes to the person who's hired him. Now what we see from this is that a person can acquire something on behalf of someone else. We're talking about a mitzia. It's a lost object. He's acquiring it on behalf of the person who hired him. And despite the fact that there are other people theoretically who could come along and claim this thing. So it seems to be not like what Rav Nachman said. On our Rav Nachman says, Shani It's different in the case of a worker because we don't actually view it as if the worker is acquiring it on behalf of the balabayas of the homeowner, but rather the worker is considered an extension of the balabayas of the homeowner. As long as you are working for this balabais, for this person, you're considered an extension of his hand. It's similar to a person who's a slave. Just like a slave, when a master owns his slave, the slave is considered an extension of the hand of the master. Whatever he picks up, whatever he acquires, goes straight to the master. So too over here, you become a slave for a day. You've enslaved yourself for a day, so whatever you pick up, it will go straight to the master. You're considered an extension of him, of the person who's hired you. However, a regular person who wants to acquire something on behalf of someone else, he won't have that ability. This is different. So the Gemara says, hold on a second. V'ha'amarav, 
Rav says, A worker has the ability to back out in the middle of the day. Meaning, you're telling me that he's considered like a slave for the day. So if he's a slave for the day, he shouldn't have the right or the ability to back out in the middle of the day. If anything, from the fact that he has the ability, if he's only completed half of the work, to, to back out, that shows that he's not considered a slave. So when he picks it up, then he would be in fact picking it up on behalf of the person, not as an extension of his master, of the person who hired him, but rather uh, through zikhiyah, through this concept of meriting, acquiring something on behalf of someone else. And we see that you can do it. Amar Lay, so he responded and said, no. As long as he has not yet backed out, then he's considered an extension of the homeowner, of the person who hired him. He's like a slave for a day. However, when he backs out, there's a different reason why he has the ability to back out, even though he's theoretically a slave for the day. Because the verse says, the Torah says, God says, the children of Israel, they are considered my slaves. They're my slaves. They're not slaves to another slave. Meaning, since every Jew is considered like a slave to God, so if you want to be a slave to another Jew, you're like a slave to a slave. That's not possible. Meaning, you can become enslaved, you can make yourself a slave for a day, but you're not completely a slave. You have the right to back out still. And therefore, when we figure out when you're picking it up and it goes to the homeowner, the person who's hired you, so you're considered his extension, you're a slave for a day. But as far as if you want to back out in the middle of the day, you still have the right to do that because you can't be completely enslaved in such a way that you can't back out. Rabbi Yechanan argues on Rav Nachman and Rav Chizdan. He says that no, if you pick up something on behalf of your friend, he does indeed acquire it. So now let's say you want to ask for the mission. The mission seems to be saying that if the person on the ground picks it up for the person on the animal, so it's not going to work. So you see that you can't acquire something on behalf of someone else. So Rabbi Yechanan explains that the person who was on the animal said to the person on the ground, give it to me. But he didn't say to him, acquire it for me. So since he said to him, give it to me, that's why he has an acquirer for him. But if he says to him, acquire it for me, then the person who's on the ground does have the ability to acquire it on behalf of the person who's on the animal. We begin the Mishnah. Let's say somebody sees a lost object, an ornless object, something that he can acquire. And he falls down upon it. He lies down on it. And someone else comes along and holds onto it. So the Mishnah says that the person who actually held onto it, grasped it, that's the one who has acquired it. Because lying down on top of an object is not something that creates an acquisition. We begin the Gemara. Rishlakish said in the name of Generally speaking, so there's a concept that the four cubits that surround a person, so whatever's in his domain, in his area, is going to be acquired via the four cubits around him. It's considered like his area, whatever's in that area, he acquires, and no one else can take it away from him. My time at Akin Rabbanan, why did the sages institute this concept? Because naturally it's not true. So what's the understanding? Why did they say this? So people shouldn't come to argue. It should be simple, straightforward. If I was here first, my Dalai my four cubits, have acquired for me whatever lost object, whatever owner this object that exists in that area. Amar says, This statement that we just made, that the four cubits of a person, his area has the ability to acquire things for him. So there was a question that Rabbi Chir by Yosef asked on that from the concept of Peya, the corners of the field that are left over for poor people. Amar Rava, and Rava says, That Rabbi Yaakov bar asked the question on this concept from the concept of damages. Amar Rabbi says as follows, What was this question that Rabbi Chir Yosef asked in regards to the corners of the field that are left over for poor people? It says as follows, 
Natal mixes peya. If let's say a poor person took some of the peya, some of the stuff that was left over for poor people, vizarak al hashar, and he took that stuff that he had taken, he threw it onto the other stuff in order to tr- try to acquire it. In lebaklum doesn't do anything. Let's say the person actually lied down upon the stuff that he wants to take. Paras or he takes his garment, he spreads it out on top of the stuff that he wants to take. Mavir So he hasn't acquired it. We actually will take it away from him. We also find this idea in regards to a sheaf. So if, when a person is collecting all of his sheaves, so if he leaves behind by accident, he forgets one of the sheaves, so the Torah says that he has to leave it behind for a poor person. So now, if let's say a poor person is coming along to collect it, and he does the similar type of acquisition, which is a non-acquisition, so then we'll take it away from him, he won't be able to acquire it. Now the Gemara says, If it will be true that a person's area would acquire it for him wherever he is, So why don't we say in this case that indeed his four cubits have acquired it from him? True, he did an action which doesn't work for him, he fell upon it, he spread out his garment upon it, but still, he's in the area of that stuff, he should acquire it with his four cubits. So the Gemara answers, What are we talking about? That he didn't state that he intends to acquire it. Since he didn't state his intention, so he doesn't acquire it with his four cubits. So the Gemara says, Hold on. If the sages instituted that your four cubits are, are going to acquire for you, what do we care if you actually said anything? That's how they instituted it. You don't have to say nothing. So the Gemara says, Cave in the Nafil, the answer is that since he's falling down upon the object, he's showing that the way that he wants to acquire it is through falling down on it. That's how he wants to acquire it. But he's not interested in acquiring with his four cubits. So the sages are not going to force him to acquire it that way. So now he wants to acquire it in a way that doesn't work. So it's too bad on him. Not only doesn't he acquire it in the way that he wants to, he also doesn't acquire it with his four cubits since he didn't want to acquire it that way. We turn to the Yudam base page 10b. Rapapa Amar, Rapapa offers a different explanation. When did the sages apply their concept that the four cubits of a person are going to acquire it for him? Ba'alma. That's only, generally speaking, outside in a Rishus Arab, in a public place, in a place where he has some rights to that area. But he's entering into a private domain. So the sages did not establish that he's going to have four cubits there. And even though he, the Torah has given him a right to walk in there, the Torah only gave him a right to walk in there in order to be able to take these special presents that are given to poor people. But in order for it to be considered his area, the Torah didn't give it to him to be his area. So the sages also didn't institute that it would be his area either. And Rashi explains that since there are numerous people there at the same time, so no person has his specific Dalai his four cubits, that are going to acquire anything for him. So therefore he doesn't get it that way. And therefore when he falls in, he also doesn't get it. And that's why anyone who wants can take it away from him. Rabbi says, Rabbi Yaakov Aridi had asked on this concept of the four cubits acquiring for a person from the concept of Nizikin of damages, which is our Mishnah. It said in the Mishnah that if, let's say, somebody sees a lost object, an ownerless object, he wants to acquire it so he falls upon it. Someone else comes and grabs it. So we said in the Mishnah that the person who's grabbed onto it has acquired it because the person who fell on it has not acquired it. Now, if it would be true that the four cubits of a person acquire from wherever he is, Nikolai Arba Amasdideh. Who cares that he did an action of falling, which is not a significant act of acquisition? The fact is, he's within four cubits of this thing, so he should be able to acquire it. So the Gemara answers, What's the case of here? Why didn't he acquire it? Because he didn't say, I want to acquire it. So one says, Hold on. So if the sages establish that he acquires with his four cubits, who cares if he said anything? The fact is, he's within four cubits of it. And the sages didn't require that he say anything. So the Gemara answers, Same answer that we said before. Since the person was falling upon it to try to acquire, so he was revealing his understanding, his desire that he only wants to acquire it through falling, and that he's not interested in acquiring it through the four cubits law.
Rav Sheshes Amar, Rav Sheshes offers a different explanation. Kita Kino Rabbanan, when did the sages establish that a person's four cubits have the ability to acquire for him besimta, to doidachki rabim, only in an alleyway where there aren't a lot of people there. Bishis Rabbim, but in a public domain, the kadachki rabim, where there are a lot of people there, like Kino Rabbanan. So then the sages did not establish that a person would have his four cubits in order to acquire things. Since there are so many people there, it's hard to say whose four cubits is whose. When we said that they established that the four cubits of a person will acquire things for him, they said everywhere it acquires for him. So how can you tell me it doesn't apply in a public domain? Sigmar answers, Then when we say every place, it's not coming to include even a public domain, but it's coming to include even the sides of the public domain. That even though there are many people, but since there aren't as many people, therefore a person could acquire, he could have his four cubits that will acquire for him on the sides of the public domain. The Gemara says we have another statement that was made by Rish Lakish in the name of Abba Kohen Bardula. Kitana in the If you have a woman who's a minor and her husband wants to divorce her, so he actually has to place it into her hand. Now, if a woman is not a minor, she's an adult, so he doesn't have to place it into her hand. He can actually throw it into her courtyard. The courtyard is considered an extension of her, and therefore she acquires it through her courtyard. It's considered like he placed it in her hand. However, Kitana, a minor, so her courtyard is not considered an extension of her hand. And if you place it within her four cubits, whereas by an adult, if a divorce document is placed into her four cubits, she'll acquire it, a katana, a minor, will not have that ability to acquire until it's actually placed in her hand. Even though she's a minor, her courtyard is considered an extension of her, and the four cubits around her are considered her courtyard as well, and she can acquire through those things. Now the Gemara says, What is the argument here? So, Rabbi Yechanan, who says that it's considered an extension of her, so he holds that a chatzer, a courtyard, is considered similar to a hand. And just like a hand is a, an extension of the woman, so to the courtyard is also an extension of her, and therefore, kihechid the isla yad, chatzer nami isla. Just like she has a hand, she can acquire through her hand, as soon as she understands what she's getting, so too she'll be able to acquire through her courtyard. Umarsa Rish Lakish holds, chatzer misham shlichus israboi. That the concept of a courtyard, the reason that you can acquire through your courtyard, is because it acts as a messenger, as your agent. And just like a woman who's a minor does not have the ability to send a messenger, so to her courtyard cannot work on her behalf in order to acquire something for her. Now the Gemara challenges, Do we find that there's anyone who holds that when a person acquires something through his courtyard, it's considered like he's acquiring it through a messenger, through an agent? It talks about a case where a person has claimed that the object that he was given to watch has been stolen. And then the object is found in his hand. All I know is that if it was found in his hand, how do we know that the law applies? That this person is considered as if he's a thief, he has to pay double, even if it was found in his courtyard or some other heir that belongs to him, Talmud Lomar, that's what we learn out from the verse. It says, Himatse Timatse, that if it will be found, it will be found. Why does it say it extra? This is teaching you no matter where it's found, there's an obligation on him. It's considered that he still has to pay double. Now, if and if it will be true that when a person acquires something through his courtyard, it's like he acquired it through an agent, so if so, then we found an idea of a shliach, an agent, to do a sin. And we know, the Kaimalon, we've established, that you can't have an agent accomplish a sin for you. You have to to do this in yourself in order for it to be considered that you've done it. So over here, clearly, the fact that it's in your possession is not because it's a shliach, not because it's an agent, but because it's an extension of your hand.
Amaravina. So Ravina answers, Hecha Amrinu de Where do we say that you can't have an agent to do a sin? Hecha de Shlech Where the person who you're sending is somebody who has an obligation in that same sin not to do that sin. Because there's a concept of Divrei Harav, Divrei Atama, Divrei Mishaymin. If let's say you have a master and you have his student and one person is telling you to do one thing and the other person is telling you to do a different thing. Who do you listen to? Obviously you listen to the teacher, not to the student. So here too, Hashem is the one who told us what to do and not to do this certain act. Now someone sends you to do that act that God said not to do. So you shouldn't have listened to the person. You're listening to the Talmud, to the student. You should be listening to God. So from the fact that you didn't listen to God, so that's your own problem. It's not the problem of the person who sent you to do it. You shouldn't have listened to that person. But if you have a courtyard that's doing a sin for you, where obviously a courtyard doesn't have an obligation, so then it could be considered that he's acting on your behalf. The courtyard is acting on your behalf, even though it's for a sin. Sigmar says, hold on. If that's true, let's say a person says to a woman or to a slave, go and steal from me. That they don't have an obligation. Rashi says, the Mishnah said in Baba Kama that a woman or a slave, they don't have an obligation to pay back something that they've stolen. So, so in this case, so the man who sent the woman or the slave, since they have no obligation, so the obligation should fall upon the man who sent them. We should find that there is a concept of that you can send somebody to do a sin for you. So we say like this, The truth is that a woman and a slave do have an obligation. The only reason that we say that they don't have to pay is because they don't have money to pay. When she's married, all the money that she has goes to her husband. When the slave is enslaved, so anything that he has goes to his master. If they got divorced, if the woman got divorced, or the slave got freed, then there will be an obligation for them to pay. As soon as they have money, they have to pay. So it's not the pshat, it's not the understanding that they don't have any obligation at all. It's just that they don't have the wherewithal to pay. So we don't create an obligation upon them if they can't pay. Rav Sama Amar, Rav Sama offers a different explanation as to why a chatzer, a courtyard, is considered different in regards to doing a sin, that it can be considered a person's shliach, his agent. Where do we say that we can't send someone to do a sin for us? That's only if he has an option, if he wants to, he'll do it. If he wants to, he won't do it. But in regards to a courtyard, where the object that's being stolen is being placed into it, against the will, so to speak, of the courtyard, so then it will be considered that the person who has sent it, so to speak, the owner of the courtyard, is going to have an obligation, and the agent can work on his behalf since it's being done against the will of the agent. Sigmar says, my benai, what's the difference between these two understandings, if it has to do with against one's will, or if it has to do with the idea that the one being sent is a barchiyuva or not, if he has an obligation or not, what's the difference between these two understandings? The difference is as follows. Let's say have a Kohen. A Kohen is not permitted to marry a woman who's divorced. But he says to a Jew, and a Jew is allowed to marry a woman who's divorced, he says to him, Be my shlech, be my messenger in order to marry a woman who's a divorcee. So the person who's sending has an obligation. He's forbidden from marrying that person, but the person who is being sent does not have an obligation. Inam, you know the case, Let's say a man says to a woman, I want to send you to be my messenger in order to use a razor blade to cut off the facial hair of a child. Now, cutting off the facial hair with a razor, it's forbidden from the Torah, it's just like eating pig. One can use, of course, an electric razor because it's like scissors. And just like it's forbidden for him to use a razor on his own face, it's also forbidden to him to use a razor to cut off the facial hair of someone else even a minor. So now, but a woman, she has no obligation, she has no prohibition from using a razor on her facial hair. So therefore, if she would go and use a razor on a child's face, she also would have no obligation as well. But since she's being sent by someone who does have a forbidden nature of doing such a thing, so that will involve our question. 
According to the second explanation, that when do we say that we do not attribute the action of the messenger, of the agent, back to the person who sent him? That's in a case where he has an option. That if he wants to, he'll do it. If he doesn't want to, he won't. As opposed to a courtyard, which does not have an option. So so here too, in the case of a Kohen who's sending a Yisrael, so the person who's sending has an obligation, has a forbidden nature, but the person who's being sent does not. So this person still has an option. So since he has free will, so therefore there's not going to be an obligation, it's not going to be attributed back to the person who it would send by. But according to the one that said, that the issue has to do with when do we attribute it back to the person who sent it only if the person who is being sent does not have an obligation. So here too, since the people being sent are not forbidden from doing this thing, it will be attributed back to the person who has sent them. Now they are challenged. Is there anyone who would challenge the fact that when we talk about her courtyard acquiring for her, that it's acting just like a hand, which is an extension of her? We have a bride that explicitly states that it's true. The verse says that he has to give the get, the divorce document, into her hand. I only know into her hand. How do I know that he can put it onto her roof, into her courtyard, etc.? That's why the verse says, He shall give. This is teaching you that there's a general rule, he has to give it to her. Even if it's not the into her hand, also through her chatzer, her courtyard, etc. So now what do we see? We see that in fact a courtyard is considered similar to her hand. So it's explicit. How can anybody think that the way that a chatzer courtyard is going to acquire is like a shleach, like an agent? So Gemara says, Le'inian get, as far as a divorce document is concerned, Indeed, it's true. Over there for sure, a chatzer, a courtyard is considered like her hand, it's an extension of her. The only argument, whether it's considered an agent or whether it's considered a hand, is only in regards to a metzia where someone is picking up a lost object. One says that we learn out a metzia. When you're picking up a lost object, we learn that out from get. Just like by get, the courtyard is considered like her hand. So too, in regards to a metzia, a lost object, it will be considered like the person who's trying to acquire his hand. The other one who says that it's like a shliach, like an agent, is because he doesn't learn out from get to teach you that a courtyard is like his hand. Really, I'll tell you that in regards to a man or a woman, so everyone agrees that in regards to a metzia, something that's a lost, her acquiring something, which is a ownerless object. So it's the same thing as a get, a divorce document, that just like over there, a chutz or a court, it works like a hand, so to over here, it will work as well. But the argument is not in regards to a girl who's a minor, but rather with a boy who's a minor. Rabbi Yechanan, who said that a cotton, a minor, does have the ability through his courtyard to acquire, that's because he learns that a cotton, a boy minor, from a girl minor. Umar Sava and Rish Lakish who said that you can't acquire through your courtyard in regards to a boy who's a minor and we do not learn out a boy minor from a girl minor. Viva Yisim, another possible explanation, Mar Amar Chada, Umar Amar Chada Pligi. Actually, Rish Lakish and Rabbi are not arguing at all. They're talking about completely different cases. When Rish Lakish says that by a minor, a chutz or a courtyard cannot work to acquire for her or for him. So he's talking about a case of a metzia, of a lost object. And when Rabbi Yechonon said that it will work, he's talking about a get, a divorce document, that it can be received through her chutz or through her courtyard.